praise the Lord. Father, we uh, commit this evening to you, Lord. We pray that your anointing may be upon us, Lord, in such power. Father, we know if your anointing is not here, then there's no point in going on, Lord, because we need the power of the Spirit, Lord. Father, I need the power of the Spirit just to work out through me the life that is in Christ Jesus, Lord. Father, I commit my voice to you, Lord. Hallelujah. And Father, we're expecting a miracle tonight. Praise God. And Father, I know that the hearers, Lord, need the Spirit of God and the anointing of God. Father, that the Word of God may go deep inside. Father, that it may produce life inside. <clears throat> we ask it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. For your glory, Lord. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, we come to the uh, beginning of the second course of basic Bible. Uh, the first course, you remember, we finished almost a year ago, I think it is, isn't it? Or just over a year ago. And we dealt in the first course with salvation, the basic issues of salvation. Uh, we dealt also with two principles for the Christian walk. We dealt with 1 John 1, 9 and with Romans 8, 28. And tonight we come to the whole subject of judgment. Judgment. Now, I think it was only a month ago that uh, a radio commentator, I think it was Alan Redhead, said that in these days, it is a brave man indeed who speaks seriously about sin and about heaven and about hell and about judgment. And I don't feel a bit brave tonight. Hallelujah. In fact, all I feel really is the anointing of the Spirit. The Word of God hasn't changed. It's totally immovable. And if last century it was quite acceptable to talk about these things. The Word of God still talking about them today. Hallelujah. Whether the Word <coughs> accepts them or not, they happen to be revealed in the Word of Truth. What does 1 Peter 1.23 say? Who were born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And long after these radio commentators have disappeared, long after radio itself has gone, the Word of God will still be thundering out the same truth. Hallelujah. And there'll be people like myself still thundering out the same truth. Exactly the same. Hallelujah. Do you know, I just love the Word of God. I really love it. I was so challenged when I read in the National Geographic uh, a few months ago about the Jewish preacher and a non-Christian, by the way, an Orthodox Jew. And he got so thrilled with the first five books of the Bible. He was dancing for joy. He had tears streaming down his cheeks. He hugged the book. And in front of hundreds of people, he was dancing up the aisles and dancing around again. And I was so challenged. I said, Lord, why don't I love your fuller word as much as that? The law came through Moses. And Moses, of course, his face just glowed just glowed when he received the law, just like this Jewish man's face glowed. But what came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. Hallelujah. Should be enough to set our feet dancing around the room, the Word of God, as we're filled with love of the Word of God. Jeremiah knew that, didn't he? <clears throat> because he said this, he said, Thy words were found. They found the scroll of the Old Testament. Thy words were found. I did eat them. They're good enough to eat. Hallelujah. And what was it? And thy words were unto me, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And I think that means he went dancing around his little pad 
wherever he lived. He went dancing for joy just because a dusty old scroll had been found under the stairs in the temple somewhere. Praise the name of Jesus. And it's the same word. The word that thrilled Jeremiah is the same word here. And if Jeremiah were here, he'd be still dancing because he'd be so thrilled with the word of God. And that's why with joy and rejoicing, we come to the subject of judgment. Well, gone are the sober faces. Because there's news. Yes, judgment indeed, but grace with it. Praise the name of Jesus. Would you turn, please, and we'll begin this evening with the Gospel of John and chapter 5. The Gospel of John and chapter 5. Now, while you're finding that, I want to make a point to begin with. Often in the Bible, you get different words used for the same Greek word. And sometimes it's very confusing. For example, if I said the three words, judgment, condemnation, and damnation to you, and asked you which is the worst, most of us would say, oh, damnation, every time, terrible. And then we'd say, well, which is the best? And you'd say, well, probably condemnation. And judgment is in the middle. Well, it's a bit unfortunate, because in Greek, it's the same word. And uh, sometimes it's good to go through one's Bible, and every time you see condemnation, to write judgment. Every time you see damnation, just, just cross it out and put judgment. And uh, in John chapter 5, we've got it three times. If I just go through this, verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now, there's the word judgment. We'll leave it at that. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. It's the same word. Judgment. Shall not come into judgment. And the last one, verse 29, And they shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And it's judgment. There are no degrees in this. It is judgment. All three. Fine. Now let's begin. I'm beginning at verse 17. And this is Jesus talking. These are the very words of Jesus. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he hath not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Now, whether the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or any of these other sects know that, what Jesus was actually saying was that he was equal with God. And the Jews understood him perfectly, just as we do. He was saying, I am God and I'm equal with God. He's my Father. I can do the same works that my Father is doing. And the Jews hated it. They were so proud, you know. We've got one God. We're the only people who serve the living God, the true God, the God of Israel. And here was Jesus coming along saying, yes, he is. So am I. And they loathed it. They really loathed it. And we've got passages in, in the Bible, like uh, John 5.18, which shows clearly that Jesus is and always has been God. Verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. Now, that would have got them immediately. 
no man has ever seen God. That's what the scripture says. No man's ever seen God. And here's this Jesus coming around saying, oh, I haven't only seen him, but I see him all the time. What I see him do, that's what I do. The Jews, it was terrible. Their minds, they couldn't take this in. They loathed it, loathed it. But nevertheless, it was true. Whatever Jesus saw the Father do, that's what he was going to do. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son. Hallelujah. The Father loveth the Son. I've got to stop. I've got to stop at that verse. The Father loves the Son. Has it ever hit anyone here fully what that means? It means that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are overflowing in love for one another. They're in love with one another. The Father's in love with the Son. The Son's in love with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in love with the Father. The Son's in love with the Holy Spirit. And all combinations, they are just burnt up in this all-consuming love for one another. They just love and love and love the pictures of Jesus that we get, of Him glowing. And I believe it was Him glowing with love of the Father. He loved the Father. He loved Him. The Father loved Him too. Oh, I think it must have been the most tragic day when the Son had to pack His bags and come down to earth. Do you know what that meant to the Father's heart? I love you. I love you, Jesus. I, I love you. I'm going to be with I can't bear to leave you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way on this earth. I love you so much. And Jesus said, Father, I'm going because it's necessary. You know that. I love you so much. I love them too. I've got to go. And he said, Holy Spirit, we love him. Go and be with him. Go and be with him. Be with him always. And Jesus Loved the Father. The Father loved Jesus. They were consumed with this love of one another. What a revelation. I believe that revelation alone is enough to set the children of God free. That we have three wonderful lovers over us. Can you imagine it? Three wonderful lovers. And they're consumed with the love they have for one another. They're consumed with the love. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. So wonderful. Hallelujah. No wonder we've got three in one. One in three. Well, you've got love like that. Do you think three can be split? Do you think three can be split? Certainly not. They act as one. They are one. They have the same essence, the same characteristics. They love one another. There's unity between them. They live for one another. They submit to one another. They prefer one another. Why? Because they love one another. Hallelujah. And I'd say, if they love one another so much, and if they love us so much, we ought to love one another also. <clears throat> I don't know of any other way. I don't know. The Christian life is supposed to be that, isn't it? Submitting to one another. Preferring one another. Blessed when someone else is blessed. It's got to be love. I can't see it. It's got to be love. Have you noticed that? Jesus was always thrilled when the Father was glorified. The Holy Spirit was just thrilled when Jesus was glorified. Oh, praise his wonderful name. What a revelation. And they loved one another. Verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son. The Father loveth the Son. 
and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. By the way, if I could just add at this point, some Christians say, oh, it's so hard to love. It's so hard to love. It's so hard to love. How can it be hard if the Holy Spirit, who's deeply in love, is inside of us? How can it be hard? The Holy Spirit coming into our hearts and crying, Abba, Father, all the day long. You have a lover inside of you, a deeply involved lover, a lover that's consumed by the love that he has. He's inside. How can it be hard to love? It must be as natural as falling off a log. It must be. If the Holy Spirit's moving, it must be. And the Holy Spirit loves the Father in me. The Holy Spirit is yearning for the Father. The Holy Spirit's yearning for the Son. He's yearning to glorify the Son in me. Oh, hallelujah. He's done it all. He's done it all in me. It's not hard to love one another. It's not hard to love God. The only thing that's hard is letting go of ourselves, to let the Holy Spirit move in us. Let Him move. He's able to do it. We've got to come into a revelation of His love. Hallelujah. Then we'll love one another. Then we'll prefer one another. Then we'll be so blessed when brother so-and-so is glorified and he's just snubbed me. Oh, thank you, Lord. I love him so much. Hallelujah. There's the revelation. And it's in us now. There's not one person in this room, I don't think, that can say, you can't do that. He can do it in you. He can. <clears throat> this is the fruit of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to take your life. Love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, all of these things pouring out, and you say, it's not me. No, it's not you. All you've done is said, Father, I want you to have it all. I lay myself on the altar. Have it all. Take me, Lord. Take me, Lord. I don't want me to show. I want you to show. I want the Holy Spirit to show through me. Hallelujah. And suddenly people say, what's happened to him? He's had a baptism with love. Hallelujah. Baptism with the love of God. And it's flowing and suddenly the body starts moving. The body starts working. Suddenly souls are saved. Suddenly people are healed. Why? The love of God's moving. Hallelujah. Moving through us. It's what we need. What we need, every one of us. Hallelujah. Verse 21. <coughs> For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. <coughs> Verse 22, and here is a very important verse. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. The Father judgeth no man. He has committed all judgment to the Son. Who's going to judge the world? Not the Father, the Son. The Father should be judged, but because he loves Jesus so much, he has laid down the honor that was due to him and said, you can be judged. You can be judged. That's love. That's love. Why? There are two reasons given why Jesus is going to be the judge. Two reasons. And we've got the first one in <clears throat> verse 23. We've got the second reason in verse 27. They're both important. Here's the first reason why the Father has given judgment to the Son. Verse 23. That all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. 
that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He is prepared to share his honor with Jesus. He is prepared to say, I know I'm the author. I know I'm the one who designed this universe. But I love you so much, Jesus. I want you to have equal honor. I want you to have equal honor. Hallelujah. Equal honor with the Father. That's the first reason. So that as Jesus is judge, every man has got to give Jesus equal honor with the Father. We honor the Father. We honor the Son. And we honor, praise God, the Holy Spirit. The three are inseparable. This honoring, and sometimes, you know, we talk about the humility of John the Baptist. And we quote this uh, word that he said, that he may increase... I may decrease. I don't even think John the Baptist's humility compares with the Father's humility. I don't think it even compares. The Father saying, Son, I want you to have equal honor with myself. What would happen in this fellowship if we gave equal honor to every member of the fellowship? Oh, that would take humility. That would take humility from us all. To honor Everyone, And the first reason that the Father has put judgment into the hands of Jesus is so that he may get equal honor. By the way, the Jews were very proud that they loved God. But there are a few scriptures. Uh, let's just turn to them. Uh, <clears throat> uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 19. Then said they unto him... Where is thy father? Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 19. Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me, nor my father. If you had known me, ye should have known my father also. Why? We're inseparable. You can't love him without loving me. That's what he's saying. He says it later on in uh, John eight forty two. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Then in verse 44, he lays it on the line. But ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. They thought they loved the father. What did they really love? They loved the ritual. They loved the synagogues. They love the ceremony. They love the prayers. They love the incense. They love the sacrifices. They love the acclaim of men being called father as they walk past, being called rabbi, professor as they walk past. They didn't love the father. They didn't love the father. If they'd loved the father, they would have loved the one that the father sent, the Lord Jesus. They would. Because they were inseparable. The two of them were inseparable. And that's what it says, verse 20, uh, 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. And it goes on, He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Hallelujah. And don't be confused by words that you hear from people. Oh, we believe Jesus was a good man. We believe Jesus was a prophet. Press home the point. But was he God? Does he get equal honor with his father? And if they're honest, they have to say no, these people. 
equal honor. There was the first reason. And by the way, verse 24, the gospel message preached. Jesus preached the gospel so many times in his own life. And here's one occasion. Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. What does it mean uh, when it says, He that believeth on him? Well, there's no on there. Cross out the on. He that believeth him, there's the Father. Who sent Jesus? The Father did. And he says, if you believe him, then you've got everlasting life. And what did he say about Jesus? One, he raised up John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, saying, he's the anointed one. He's the Lamb of God. Listen to him. And the Spirit of God anointed John the Baptist to give testimony to who Jesus was. Next, at, the, at Jordan, when Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The Mount of Transfiguration, a voice boomed from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. The Father was saying, here he is. This is the Christ. This is the Anointed One. Believe on him. And if you believe him, the Father here, you will accept the Lord Jesus as Messiah, as the Anointed One, as the Christ of God. And if you accept Jesus as Christ and Lord of your life, that's salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. It's the gospel message that he's preaching. More than the gospel message, as we'll see. Let's read it again, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Hallelujah. Shall not come into judgment. There it is. What's that? It's Romans 8 verse 1. If any man is in Christ, he shall not be judged. Let's turn to it. Romans 8 1. <clears throat> there is therefore no condemnation. What's that? Judgment. There is therefore no judgment for them in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus not only preached the gospel, it wasn't just Acts 16 31, it was Romans 8 verse 1. No judgment for those in Christ Jesus. There you've got it. <clears throat> we'll be coming on to that later on. Shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead, that's the spiritually dead, those who are cut off from God, those who have not believed in God, shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Hallelujah. There it is. Verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Here's the sharing again. Right, now so far we've seen one reason why the Son is going to judge. That he might receive equal honor with the Father. Now we come to the next reason. And here it is, verse 27. Verse 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. Because he is the Son of Man. Now what does this mean? Verse 25, just above, we've got Jesus called the Son of God. Here it is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. 
in verse 27, we've got Jesus described as the Son of Man. And that's what he was. He was both the Son of God and he was the Son of Man. And the second reason why Jesus is going to judge the earth is this. He's the only mediator there is between God and man. The only mediator, the only one between God and man. We find that in 1 Timothy, if you turn with me for a moment, keep your finger in the place. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 and 6. And I'm going to spend a bit of time on this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and, and men, the man Christ Jesus. And there he's emphasizing that he was a man. There is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, what was it about a mediator that was so important? Well, again, the Bible fills us in with all the details. And the most surprising book to turn to at this point, but I want you to do it, to Job, the book of Job, and chapter 9. Because if we're going to understand Jesus as mediator, we've got to see some of the rules of a mediator. What is it about a mediator that makes him fit to mediate? And we find it in Job chapter 9. Job is the earliest book of the Bible. Written before the law was given, written before the Exodus. No mention of the law at all in the book of Job. Very interesting. Now, <clears throat> Job had a few believers who were trying to help him out. They're called the Job's Comforters by the world, but they were believers. And they knew a few things, but unfortunately, it hadn't been written at this time. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And they could quote out all the usual doctrine, but it didn't help Job, not one iota. Not one iota. The things that they said were absolutely true, very often. They made a few mistakes as well. But... Unfortunately, it didn't apply to Job at all. And can you imagine poor Job? He was a righteous man. He'd lived justly before God. Suddenly he's smitten down and they come and say, well, you must have sinned. It must be sin in your life. You don't think God would do this to you for nothing, do you? Well, that's right. He wouldn't do it for nothing, but he didn't do it to Job for sin. He did it, of course, to solve an amazing conflict with Satan that was going on. Much deeper than these uh, Job's comforters could ever understand. And poor Job not only has to put up with the boils and the discomfort, he has to put up with these people preaching truth at him, which just didn't help him. Just didn't help him. You'll always find them today, by the way. They're still around in the body of Christ. They've got all the answers. Every single answer. It doesn't touch your spirit, not one iota. We need people who are going to get the mind of the Lord. The mind of the Lord. For our problems, not just to regurgitate doctrine. That doesn't help. And poor Job was sitting there. I'd love to do a study of Job. It's an, an amusing book, actually, in many parts, and a tragic book in others. <clears throat> Verse 1, then Job answered. He's answering Bildad, one of them. 
and said, verse 2, I know it is so, of a truth, I know what you say is right. I know it's right. I agree with everything you've said. But how should man be just with God? He's saying, I know it's true, but I haven't done it. How can I explain that to God, he's saying. He goes on, by the way, and he says, if, I, if he, a man, will contend with God, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He, God, is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and has prospered. A bit more clearly, <clears throat> over the page in Job 9, verse 32 and 33. Job chapter 9, verse 32 and verse 33. For he, and he's talking about God, he is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him. Oh, I wish I could just get God and say, look, God, I haven't done anything. You see, he said he's not a man. I can't just approach him and say, look, what's all this about? I can't do it. He says, and that we should come together in judgment. By the way, Isaiah hadn't been written. Isaiah says, come, let us reason together. You see, Isaiah hadn't been written, and poor Job... He didn't have anything to go by except what had been passed down from father to son, father to son. He said, how can I come into argument with God, judgment, sort this thing out with God? I can't do it. He said, I'm stuck. Verse 33, neither is there any daysman betwixt us. What's a daysman? It's a mediator. <clears throat> neither is there any mediator between us, he says that might lay his hand upon us both. And it's that last phrase which is so important. Because the one thing about a mediator was he had to represent both sides. Even today, it's true. If a union has a dispute against the management, they have to pick a man who can represent both of them. And sometimes they call in an arbitrator and the union say, I don't think, I think he's on management's side, so I won't accept him. Or the management say, go on, he's a union member, we won't have him. And then the argument comes. So you've got God, you've got man, and he says there isn't a mediator betwixt us. That can lay his hand, here it is, upon us both. Now to lay one's hand upon someone is to identify with the person. When the Jews took an animal sacrifice, they used to say, I give this animal for my sin." And the sign that they did it, they put their hand on top of the head of the animal. I identify. <clears throat> and Job's saying, where is the mediator who can say, I'm equal with God and I'm equal with man? Where is he? Well, he was wrong. There was one. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus is the only mediator. Why? Because he's God, so he can speak up from God's side. And he's man, so he can speak from man's side. And Jesus, to us, represents God. Everything about God, the unseen God, is in Jesus. No mystery anymore. Jesus Christ is the visible member of the Godhead for us. And before God, he represents man. Praise God. And, and you see, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, that's why I concentrated on this at the beginning, you've got no mediator. Because <clears throat> a mediator has to represent both sides. And there's the second reason, that Jesus is the one who will judge. When Adam had destroyed the whole of the human race, the Father was cut off from man. <clears throat> when Jesus ascended, he took a perfect man back to God. He said, here I am, Father, a perfect man. And God said, fine, 
It's been healed. The breach between us. He didn't stay there. <clears throat> he went back down to the earth to preach the gospel because he had to then represent God to us. Praise his wonderful name. That's what it's all about. That's, that's John chapter 5. The mediatorship of the Lord Jesus. Now there are two reasons then why judgment has been committed into the Father's hands. One, that Jesus may get equal, equal honour. That every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the first reason. Second, he's the one that can fully represent God and man. Praise his wonderful name. That's why not one person on this earth will be judged wrongly. Because Jesus understands man. He has received worse of mankind than anyone else. He's the perfect one to come and say, really, you stand in condemnation, you man. I know, I know, I'm a man. I'm a man, I've seen it. And to the Father, for us, he can say, Father, no, no condemnation in me. I represent them, Father. I'm their lawyer. I'm their advocate. And he's probably say to us, don't say a word unless your lawyer's there. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lest you incriminate yourself. Hallelujah. And believe me, we would. We would. We'd try and put every excuse up in the book. And all the Lord Jesus does, he comes and he says, here's my blood. Here's my blood. I, Father, I've paid the price for this. I've paid the price. There it is. Hallelujah. Right, back to John chapter 5. Right, and we'll finish this off. <clears throat> Verse 27, And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. There's the reason. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Hallelujah. All that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Both the believers and the unbelievers going to hear his voice <clears throat> and shall come forth they that have done good how do you do good you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ it's the only good thing you can do believe on the Lord Jesus Un uh, unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment there it is the fearful prospect of judgment and here's the wheat and the tares the wheat in to the barn the tares burnt in the fire. There's the distinction and the separation between believers and unbelievers. <clears throat> by the way, sometimes do-gooders, you know, these people who believe that just by living a good life, you are going to be saved, <clears throat> they sometimes quote the first part of this verse. And they say that all that have done good shall come unto the resurrection of life. But unfortunately, they don't go on because they don't believe in judgment. So again, they take half a verse and they forget the other half. Well, you can't do that. <clears throat> I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. Praise his wonderful name. You see what he's saying? He's saying, okay, judgment's mine. But what I hear, I'm going to judge by. It's the dependency on the Father again. You see? In fact, praise his wonderful name, eventually in John chapter 12, uh, Jesus actually says, I won't even judge you, he says. He says, my words are going to judge you. And of course, he only spoke the words that the Father spoke. Do you see, it's this total interdependence that they've got. Why? They love one another. Hallelujah. The day is coming when every Christian will speak the words of truth to unbelievers. 
and they'll all agree. Because they love one another so much, they'll all agree. You won't get people saying, oh, by the way, have you heard about brother so-and-so? He's so-and-so and so-and-so. Because we'll be of one heart, one mind, one spirit. Whose heart? His heart. Whose mind? His mind. Whose spirit? His spirit. Hallelujah. We're going to be one. That's the promise. So the Lord Jesus is the judge. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness, my witness is not true. He said, I don't bear witness of myself. The, even the Old Testament said you needed two outside witnesses. His father witnessed for him, John the Baptist witnessed for him, and the works that he did witnessed for him. We only need two of those. Praise the name of Jesus. So his witness was established. Right, uh, let's go on to another major principle. That was the first. Jesus is the judge. He is going to judge. We come on to now a magnificent principle in Scripture. And it runs right throughout the Bible. And that's this. You never get judgment without first getting grace. And I call this the principle grace before judgment. Always grace before judgment. Grace before judgment. <clears throat> uh, to see this, I've chosen an obscure verse. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 21. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 21. For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perazim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Have you ever read that one before? What was Perazim, Mount Perazim? Well, it was a scene where the judgment of God fell on the Philistines through David. Now, David organized the army, organized the army, and it was actually God who judged, God who judged through David. So Perazim is a place of judgment. The next one, Gibeon, that's also a place of judgment. <clears throat> Two judgments took place there. Joshua judged the Amorites, and David judged the Philistines. Poor Philistines. But it was God, again, through both of those men, judging these people. But it goes on. <clears throat> that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now, what's the word strange mean? The word strange is the word alien. Alien. It is alien to God to judge. doesn't mean he's not going to judge. What it means is he doesn't like judging. Now, if you've heard the first set of tapes, especially, I think, the tape on propitiation, you'll know why God is going to judge. Do you remember? You've got the two cherubim over the mercy seat. One represents the divine justice of God. One represents the divine or absolute righteousness of God. Now, these are characteristics of God. 
and sin, rebellion, wickedness offend the righteousness of God. And as soon as that happens, he is cut off completely from the person who's done it. Then another facet of his character, justice, has to judge. Because he's just, wherever wickedness is, he's got to punish. Now that's the reason for judgment. God is also a God of love. And of course in Jesus, you have the love of God, the righteousness of God, and the justice of God combined in one. But his love means this, that he doesn't like judging. So his love always comes first, and it says, right, I'll give them grace. I, and he will always give a person a chance to repent, a chance to turn again from that which would mean his judgment. And this principle of grace before judgment is so important. The fact is, however, if having received the grace of God, a person then turns his back on the grace of God, judgment is coming as sure as God is in his heaven as sure as the word of God stands true if we turn our back on grace judgment will come I'm thinking especially of this country at the moment I believe that last century we earned a lot of grace from God there were British missionaries in every corner of the world giving the gospel message. They, they were out, they spilled their very blood for the gospel of Christ. And this country was never worthy of them. They were tremendous believers in the Lord last century. And from this country went out the biggest missionary push there's ever been, except, I think, from the United States of America today. It was fantastic. There were some nations that were turned completely upside down by the work of British missionaries. And at home, okay, the conditions were terrible. The politicians were as corrupt as they ever have been. But it was grace coming from the work of these missionaries. The same is true in Bognor and Chichester and all the other places we live tonight. Our work is providing grace for the places we live in. This world would have putrefied utterly by now if we hadn't been preaching the gospel today. You see? Very important. And yet, after that missionary push of last century, this country turned its back on God. And I believe we've been living in the grace for decades now. And here's the truth. After grace, there's judgment. And this country has turned its back on God. There's no doubt about it. <clears throat> no doubt about it at all. This country is a pagan, atheist society naming the name of God, and it's just lip service. Just lip service. There are so few believers, relatively, in this country. And the time is coming when God's judgment is coming upon our nation. And do you know, it's not just the Christians that realize that, it's the non-Christians as well, isn't it? Have you heard the news lately? Everyone knows that something's happening in this country. Everyone knows that there are forces coming into this country that are forces of judgment? What's the answer? It's repentance from the whole nation. What does Psalm 33 say? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's why the Archbishop of Canterbury's present uh, prayer 
plea to this country. Get back to the institutions that God has ordained. Back to marriage. Back to the family. Back to discipline in the home situation. That's why his plea is so right. And I believe God has stirred him up. Stirred him up. What is it? It's grace. God said, right, I'm going to get a Christian man who has full use of the radio and television. I'm going to get him to preach my last message of grace to this country. And if then they don't hear, watch out. Hallelujah. I'm talking to unbelievers now. You believers will always have the grace of God. Hallelujah. There is no condemnation or judgment for those in Christ Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. We can expect blessing, honor, and all the rest from God. Keep on preaching the gospel. Preach on, uh, carry on representing God. You'll know blessing in your life. Hallelujah. But you see, the principle's there. God could have wiped this nation out. He hasn't chosen to do it. What's he done instead? He's given it grace. He could have wiped Russia out. He's given them grace. He could have wiped out so many countries. He's given them grace. But after grace, as sure as God is God, judgment comes. And it's a severe thing that we're talking about because I believe we are on the verge <clears throat> of seeing the judgment hand of God on this country unless we repent. It's not up to God then. It's up to us. Praise God. Up to this country now. That's why we as a fellowship have got to pray and pray for this nation <clears throat> and respond to the call that's gone forth from a really, truly born-again believer. And we've got to do our part <clears throat> in it all. Hallelujah. All was grace before judgment. Now, do you know the Bible is jam-packed with this principle? Here's another thing. You can do your own Bible study on this. I'm going to go through quite a number of them. <clears throat> uh, let's, let's take a few of, of these principles where grace is always revealed before judgment. Now, we've seen one already. I'm just going to go over it. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, first of all. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll read this again. I won't spend too long on this. I've done it before. <clears throat> and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. What's happened? Adam has sinned deliberately. Adam has sinned deliberately. Do you know why, the real reason, why Adam sinned? The real reason under it all why he sinned? <coughs> he sinned because he was not head over heels in love with the Lord. If he had been head over heels in love with the Lord, he wouldn't have let anything come in the way of God and him. He would have said, Lord, I value your fellowship so much, I can't bear anything getting in between. He should have been head over heels with the Lord. Head over heels, he wasn't. And there was the hardness of heart that allowed the sin in. Hallelujah. We're warned in the scripture, <clears throat> do not allow our hearts to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God's always open in grace to us. We shut ourselves off from him, always. And here's Adam and Eve, they've shut themselves off. <clears throat> the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, um, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Dealt with all of this before, so I'm just going straight through. And here's grace. God knew the suffering that was going to come on the world because of Adam and Eve. He could have utterly destroyed them and the world with them. No. What did he do? And they heard the voice of the Lord walking 
in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. They were so ashamed they went and hid. And if you'd been there, you would have said, well, I'm not talking to them. I'm not talking to them. They must come to me now. No. The Lord didn't do that. It was grace before judgment. What did the Lord say? And the Lord God called unto Adam. He said unto him, Where art thou? Where art thou? And Adam and Eve, in the wilderness of sin, <clears throat> suddenly hear the voice, the fruitful voice, the river-like voice of the Lord calling out, Where are you? I want to talk to you. I want to see you. I miss you. I love you. Praise the name of Jesus. What's that? It's grace before judgment. Have you heard the voice of the Lord calling you? You know, when you get up so late and you haven't got time to even say good morning to the Lord. And as you're rushing out through the front door, the Lord's calling you. He's saying, I want to have time with you. I want to sit with you. I want to come and commune with you. Oh, not time, Lord. Go away. Go away. And he's still there when you get home at night. He's so gracious. He's so <laughs> lovely and loving, isn't he? Praise the name of Jesus. That's our Jesus. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now, time is running out. I wanted uh, to deal with the flood. Before we do the flood, I'll deal, I can see that we must make this two Bible studies. And so next week will be on the same, or the week after, will be on the same topic. Grace before judgment. I'll deal with the flood next week. <clears throat> Could we just turn to Genesis chapter 18 and see Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Genesis 18, <clears throat> and beginning verse 16. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah had sinned against the Lord. Their sin is mentioned in Ezekiel 16:49, where it says, This is the sin of thy sister Sodom. Pride, surfeit of food, did abominable things, was haughty in front of me, and it lists, a whole group of others. It was pride, mainly, that was the sin of Sodom. <clears throat> and here, these two angels and the Lord Jesus, did you know the Lord appeared in the Old Testament? He appeared all over the place. We've just seen one in the Garden of Eden. They're called Christophanes. I deal with them sometime. <clears throat> and he actually appeared. Why? He's the visible member of the Godhead. He's the person of the Godhead the people saw if God had to be represented by himself. And that was Old Testament and New Testament. He led armies. He talked peaceful words to some people. He encouraged others. He was always there. And here he is with two angels. <clears throat> and they just visited Abraham. And beginning verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went out with them to bring them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. <clears throat> For I know him. This is a testimony of Abraham. Could the Lord say this about you? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham <clears throat> that which he had spoken of him. And the Lord said to Abraham, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now. 
He didn't say, because their sin is so great, because their cries come up to me, I'm going to smash the living daylights out of them. No, I'm going down there. That's grace before judgment. I'm going down into their very midst. And by the way, he didn't just go in and pop out again. He, they stayed, these two angels stayed all night. That's grace. That's great. They didn't belong there. They didn't like being there. But they went into that place. <clears throat> now, of course, Abraham had a nephew there. A nephew called Lot. And Abraham knew that if you've got believers in that place, God won't judge it. So he thought, well, now I wonder how good Lot's been at leading people to the Lord. So he starts speaking to the Lord. <clears throat> but verse 21, we'll finish it. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. If they haven't, I'm going to save them. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near <clears throat> and said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? There are believers there, Lord, he's saying. How? You're surely not going to destroy them as well. But hold on, that's contrary to doctrine. Praise the Lord. That's not Romans 8 verse 1. The Lord knew that. <clears throat> verse 24. Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Father, he says, or Lord, if my nephew Lot has managed to lead 49 people to the Lord, will you destroy it then? And the Lord says, uh, <clears throat> Wilt thou destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? Verse 25. Here's Abraham again. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. It's still true today, by the way. That's why we're going before the judgment of this earth. Hallelujah. We're going to be taken before judgment. God can't judge us and them. He's got to take us into the barn and then judge them. Praise God. There's the principle. Even Abraham knew that. Isn't it amazing how many people have forgotten it in our day? Here it is. It's all in Genesis. Uh, he says, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. The Lord said, if I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. I won't destroy it. <laughs> then Abraham remembers what Lot's like. <clears throat> and Abraham answered and said, behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there lack five of the fifty righteous. Say he's missed by five, he says. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? He said, if I find there forty-five, <clears throat> I won't destroy it. And then Abraham fully remembered what Lot was like. <clears throat> And he spake unto him yet again, <coughs> and said, Peradventure there be forty found there. He said, I will not do it for forty's sake. He said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak, Peradventure there shall be thirty found there. He said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. This is Abraham again. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. He said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And then Abraham said, oh, it's Lot. It's Lot. He said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. 
He said, I will not destroy it for ten sake. If I find ten righteous people, ten believers there, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left, communing with Abraham. <clears throat> and Abraham returned unto his place. What about Lot? Lot hadn't been very successful. Yeah. In fact, as far as we know, he only led two people to the Lord. He was a believer and his two daughters. And there's a query about his wife. We're not sure about her. And uh, so you get in Genesis 19 and beginning verse 15. And just as you read about Lot, you can see the type of believer that he was. Because the Lord hadn't found ten, he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he couldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. So what had to happen? Lot had got to be got out. And the other believers, they all had to leave. God, that's a principle with God. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those believers. Right, <clears throat> so before you can judge Sodom and Gomorrah, the believers have got to be out. Praise God. Isn't that great? Lot was a complete and utter <coughs> failure as a believer, but he couldn't be judged. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you feel a failure like that? Hallelujah. You won't be judged. Praise the name of Jesus. But gain fruit for Jesus. Hallelujah. Do you know, if we are successful in our gospel outreach in this place, perhaps Bognor may be spared. You don't know. Perhaps Chichester will still stand, though the rest be demolished. Hallelujah. It's a call for us all, this is. However, let's see Lot. <clears throat> Verse 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife. If she was an unbeliever, she was sanctified, because Lot was a believer. And thy two daughters, <clears throat> which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Lot didn't want to go. So they grab him by the hand. They say, you're going. And out he went. <clears throat> Why is he going? Because they could not judge the city with him there. They couldn't do it. A believer could stand in the way. And they knew that that city had to be judged. So they removed Lot <clears throat> and his wife and two children. And look at faithless Lot. And it came to pass when they brought them forth abroad, he said, and, <clears throat> sorry, and it came to pass when they brought them forth abroad, that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord, not to the mountain. Not to the mountain. Don't send me to the mountain. Oh, you can't do it. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. <laughs> Can you believe it? As if the angels would rescue him from death here, just to leave him to die on the mountain. That's why Lot was so faithless and why he was so unsuccessful. Are you like that? That's the question, isn't it? Or do you know God is quite able to take care of your life and your circumstances? And that he's, if he's put you in the place, he's going to maintain you in the place. 
Hallelujah. If you're in the place that God's put you, then he is the one that's going to look after you. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. So don't worry. Don't worry. Don't start complaining about the mountain. Start getting on going up. Hallelujah. There's good air at the top. Hallelujah. Behold, now this little city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. <clears throat> he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for, for the which that thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou be come thither. Look at that. I can't do anything until you're out. Grace. Grace before judgment. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And you know what happened. Uh, <clears throat> they actually get out and go to this little place. And by the way, geography shows that the very tip of the Dead Sea used to be land. And underneath, there's salt. There's brimstone. There are destroyed cities. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. But where's Zoar? Zoar's right on the edge. God preserves Zoar. Why? There were believers there. He put them there. There were believers there. God couldn't destroy it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What's this? Grace before judgment. Grace in two ways. One, God went into the city and lived there before he destroyed it. Two, those grace believers were removed before the judgment happened. Praise God for his wonderful grace. Now, next week, I'm going to continue the theme, grace before judgment. The Bible's full of it. Hallelujah. Just want to say this. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus has shown the greatest grace of all by dying for us. If there's anyone who has not received the grace of God, then the fearful prospect of judgment stands over you. It's as simple as Acts 16.31. <clears throat> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. As John 3.18 says, He that believeth is not judged. He that believeth not is judged already because he has not believed on the name of the only Son of God. We've seen grace tonight. Hallelujah. God able to give me a voice to speak for an hour with laryngitis. Glory to Jesus. And I know it's time to stop. Next time we continue on the subject. Father, we thank you for your grace to us tonight. We thank you, Father, we are living in grace days. Father, we may live in a judged place, but we are living under grace. And we ask, Father, that we might be graceful to you. Father, to allow your spirit to move through us, that many should hear and come and see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who has provided salvation. We bless you for your grace and we love you, Lord. Amen.